Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Oh, Mike Abadir Show, August the 20th, 2020. And Mike, it feels like we are really in the middle of it now in the, the world of sports. I think when when Hard Knocks comes back, to me, that means football's close. <laughs> when, when we get that HBO Hard Knocks coming back and we get to start to see what it's like for the teams in this incredibly unique 2020 year trying to prepare with all the new protocols and and now i mean every time we check in a week later that's like another you know massive chunk of the baseball season that's gone through and we've seen a, a start to the basketball playoffs and it's been a pretty a pretty well balanced playoff so far i mean i think the three teams that were favored to win it all have all already lost within their first two games yeah, I was going to say, let's talk a minute of basketball before we jump into uh, baseball with our first guest. Can't imagine that you're too pleased with what you've seen from the L.A. team so far. Well, you know what? Um, the Lakers didn't play well enough to win, period. It, it really didn't bother. Sounds weird, but I'd be more upset if they played really well and lost. It, it, just knowing that they just did not play well, period. They shot 5 for 23, which is 16%. That's the second lowest percentage shooting from three in NBA playoff history. The Lakers aren't a great three-point shooting team all year. I mean, when you do, when you look at the way their team is built, their two best players aren't what you would consider traditional three-point shooters, right? You would think of LeBron and Anthony Davis as, you know, down low scoring. LeBron driving, going to the basket. Same thing with AD. You know, out, um, just his size and and what he's able to do. But if the Lakers normally shoot bad, that's like thirty percent, thirty-two percent. So they sh- they had to shoot historically bad, and then down the stretch, they come all the way back, they take the lead, and they miss four free throws in a row in the fourth quarter, which was just you know back-to-back by LeBron and then back-to-back by AD. I- I'm hoping that this lights a fire under them and jumpstarts them because they just didn't play very well. And I'll tell you what, the Clippers are pretty lucky right now too because they could be very easily 0-2 in this series. They were down by five in game one. To, to the Mavericks in the third quarter when Porzingis for, for Dallas got thrown out of the game and ejected after a pretty pretty soft ejection. And that changed the game for the Clippers. They ended up winning. Now, we don't know if Porzingis being in means the Clippers couldn't have won, but they were down five. And the game two when Porzingis was here, they didn't win. So I, they, they very easily could be down 0-2. Um, Milwaukee's playing better right now because they're playing against Orlando. But the two teams out in the West... They've got legitimate series. There's no cakewalks. There, there's nothing. There's no gimmies out west. No, and I mean Milwaukee's game one wasn't very impressive either. I mean, you're, you already mentioned that the that the top three favorites have already uh, found a way to to struggle and uh, maybe give a little bit more competitiveness to these series is than given credit for perhaps going into this NBA playoff. You got to wonder though how much of that is the neutral, you know field if you will the neutral court absolutely you know, typically you're going to have you know significant home field advantages for some of these clubs you know i was trying to think about it the other day because i'm sure you probably saw the headline about the nfl considering a bubble format and i was thinking you know what wow could you imagine like not having that 
Arrowhead Advantage in January or Mile High in January, uh, if you're in a neutral playing field, it completely changes the dynamic from an NFL perspective. And we could talk more about that later. But, and but it's like, just, in basketball, I mean, how much how much do you weigh that? I mean, and in a game, Staples is uh, – it, it doesn't have the same reputation of, of the Forum, let's just say, or Boston Gardens. I will say, but though – But they play well there. Yeah, and when they made a run and, – and actually, even for the Lakers, they were a very good road team, too, this year. They were the best road team in the league. So to, for And for the Lakers, what's nice is that they're such a – popular team that anywhere they go now in in playoffs and playoff series they're not getting let's go laker chance but there's still a laker contingent anywhere they go so they they get a little bit of of support as well as lebron has his own type of following too 100 absolutely so it's almost never like a true true road game for the lakers or lebron because they're they're such polarizing um figures as it is It, it what was weird to me was last night or when the lakers played on on tuesday night and they came all the way back, and it's early in the fourth quarter, and they're up by six. That's when I, the place would have been rocking. And that's when there was no part of me that thought they were going to lose that game. Once they came all the way back and they got up by six, even though they weren't playing well, you just kind of forget that there's no crowd there to continue to lift them on, on the comeback. And, and another thing now, too, what about what points in the series, when we watch a series, a baseball series, a basketball series, generally when – the teams go back and forth. They're the kind of normal momentum swings in the series that we look to, right? Sometimes you win your first two games, then you're going to go back on to home for the next two games or however it's set up. So usually it's after game two that we think, okay, now they're going home. At least for the Lakers in this case, I mean, it's going to be a good thing they don't have to go back. They don't have to go on the road right now. They didn't play. They've never really played all that well in Portland. And if I mean, imagine if the Lakers lose later tonight and they're down 0-2. Imagine being down 0-2 and then having to go on the road. At least in this situation, I as a fan won't be nervous, really, really nervous until they're down 0-3. Because you still feel like they can just go back and forth and back and forth, win 2, lose 2. They just got to play better, period. And the Lakers and the Clippers have not played nearly the level in this bubble as they played earlier in the year. Is it because they've had some personnel issues? Is it maybe because they were able to sort of turn it off in the bubble and not really have to to battle all that hard for spots that they had earned? And sometimes in in life, it's not easy to just turn it on and turn it off, Mike, especially when you're a team like this group of the Lakers and this group of the Clippers. They've never done it before. It's not like the Warriors turning it off for a few games at the end of the regular season and going, well, we've seen this group in the playoffs do it, so we know they can. We don't know either of these groups can do it. Well, speaking of turning it on and off, let's stick with that theme, but on an individual basis. I think LeBron and Kawhi have both clearly established that when it's playoff time, they do turn it on mm-hmm. time and time again. Mm-hmm. And what do you think others. about the Robins, though? It's the, the others. Paul George. Exactly. What, what been... do you think about the Robins so far in terms of turning it? It seems like Paul George... Maybe every third game is kind of uh, not so good. Mm-hmm. Is that an unfair like, assessment? No, and it's it's like a great game, an okay game, and then a bad game from him. Yeah, and and with and with what's lucky with Anthony Davis is because of his size and in the matchup is that he can have. I think he played a he had a bad game last game. I mean, and, and when you and you look back at the numbers and so wow, what was weird with with AD is I think he was a little nervous. He was a little. 
there was it was almost like there was something off with his gait. He was like his stride was like a step off. He was a step in between here and there. He wasn't smooth in anything he was doing, and he was getting fouled a lot. And I think they were, you know, they're they're packing the paint. So what the, what they were doing is they were playing the Lakers very smart. They are making they're going to make the Lakers have other people hit shots. You're going to have to have the Kyle Kuzmas of the world, the Danny Greens of the world, the KCPs of the world. Those guys are just plain and simple. They're going to have to hit open shots. If they don't, this Laker team has no chance of winning a title, and it, it wouldn't matter who their opponent is. Gent, honestly, the Blazers are excellent. Lillard is very scary. This is group of the Blazers isn't isn't an eight seeded team because of what you know what they had to deal with throughout the regular season. But this team of this Laker team is much better. If they play well, they absolutely should still be able to win. But if they don't, I mean, if you if you hit sixteen percent of shots or twenty percent from three. It doesn't matter if it was the Grizzlies. It doesn't matter if it was the Suns. You wouldn't beat any NBA teams. That's what we're seeing with a three-point shot now, Mike. I, it's one of those things that you love and you hate because it can really be an equalizer and swing games. And if you are just not hitting the outside shot and the other team is, you really don't have a chance. The next thing I was kind of thinking about is coaching. In this playoff, so far, we're only a couple of games in. What what have your your thoughts been about the coaching thus far? How's it different in the bubble? How how have how has it shown for the, for the guys that have been with their team a few years, like Brad Stevens or Doc, versus coaches who have less time with that team, or maybe the first playoff run? Yeah, and I think we'll we'll see a lot with like for example with the Lakers coach Vogel. I think a lot will tell what happens in game two because let's see what kind of adjustments he makes. Now, he's gotten to see some things that work and some things that don't work. The things that don't work, how long are you going to keep going to them before you make a change? To me, that's what what really shows because someone like JaVale has been starting for the Lakers all year. He might not like it if he's not starting or he doesn't get minutes, but he doesn't match up well in the series. He's not playing very well, period. He shouldn't be playing a whole ton. Um, if You know, if... KCP and Danny Green continue to not hit shots. They're going to get less minutes. They they get on the court because they play some defense too, and they can at least run around and chase Lillard and McCollum and, and do a decent job uh, and do a decent job at that. So I've been extremely impressed with Doc. Extremely impressed with Doc um, with Doc throughout the season. I don't like what he's done in in these first couple playoff games. Um, I don't know if this is as much on him as just a. Uh, Dallas playing very, very well and, and offensively being good. Brad Stevens has been incredible. But the one coach who I think it's going to be time to go now is it's going to be uh, Brett Brown from, from Philadelphia, the 76ers. This has been a team who's been here year in, year out. They just, when they get into a playoff series, whether they're healthy, whether they're injured, whether they're banged up, they just don't put it together. And if you've watched these first two Philly-Boston games, Philly's actually played well early and just not been able to sustain it and it's because Boston makes the adjustments to make it really hard on getting Embiid the ball to make it really hard on Embiid and guys like Tobias Harris who's making 36 million dollars a year is like he's he's not even on the court for Philly so I think the one team that I've watched so far through all of this and I think man I coaching wise I'm really disappointed in them is is Philly they just they don't seem to be able to make adjustments and you know the, the yeah, I think Brett Brown's done He's got to be. I think Brown's done. Got to be. I mean, how how long of a leash do you get when they put together a team? 
before this all started, I was like, you know, this this may be the toughest first round matchup, and uh, thus far like it hasn't even been competitive. I thought even without Simmons, that Philly could beat Boston in a series. I don't think that without Simmons, Philly could win and beat Boston, and then Toronto, and then Milwaukee, and then the Clippers or the Lakers or, or whoever they end up playing. But I think in one series against a team like Boston, Boston doesn't have one guy that can guard Embiid. They don't have any bigs, not even bodies. They've got Tice and Cantor and Williams. Just Embiid can feast on them, but they just don't do it. They they don't make adjustments, and they do a really sloppy job of trying to get him the ball, of moving the Which ball. Which is really strange, by the way, because these teams know each other very well. I know, you know they're 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 longtime rivals. They play each other a bunch of times every year. I mean, that does it's that doesn't make sense to me. That, to me, that's why it goes back to coaching. Exactly. Because when it's when it you watch both of these games and. You know, early, like going into the fourth quarter of game one, Philly was up and they were up by 15 early. And then all of a sudden, just a few quick adjustments, the bench comes in for Boston and actually played really well. And then, then they just can't get Embiid involved again. It, I 100% agree with you. When you have these two teams that know each other and you have players on the court on one side where Embiid should be the best player in this series. And he's not. Jason Tatum is. He's taken a step. Embiid's been fine. Kind of got the numbers that you've expected. But he hasn't dominated, and he hasn't made it difficult on Boston like he really should. So that that was probably the series I've been uh, most disappointed in. But we've we've had a lot of just action, a lot of important things happening in the NBA, even in just this first round. I mean, Mike Conley he had to leave the bubble because he was going to have he had a baby. Now he's going to be back playing in Game Three. We had Joe Harris for Brooklyn. He had to leave after Game Two. We don't know if he's going to be back. Gordon Hayward got hurt. He's going to be out for for four weeks. We had Donovan Mitchell in the first playoff game score 57 in overtime and lose. We had Porzingis get ejected out of a game that the Mavericks were winning in the playoffs. You don't see ejections like that. We had Milwaukee, the Lakers, and the Clippers all lose. Oladipo had to leave a game because he got poked in the eye. I mean, there's just been a lot happening in three or four days worth of playoff basketball. Yeah, it's it's been... One storyline after another storyline, or at least like compelling, you know, incidents mm-hmm. or events uh, thus far. Interesting, though, to note that the uh, ratings haven't been as strong as I thought they would be, especially when we saw that um, right out of the gate. You know, there were, there was a lot of uh, fan tune fans tuning in to baseball. I wonder um, how much this has to do with politics. Uh, really, I mean, I think that's going to be with a lot of sports now. Unfortunately, because I think there's a lot of protesting become, the protests. Yep, there's become so it's everything's become so political and so one way or the other that if you're if you don't like seeing people kneeling or protesting or this and that, you kind of turn off the TV and you don't watch, and that's become that's going to be prevalent in basketball, baseball, football, everything now for a while. Which is really interesting, by the way, because. Typically speaking, those who have felt the strongest about that have usually had an easy fallback, which is college football, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, you know, they play for the love of the game. I'm not going to watch on Sundays. I'm going to watch on Saturdays. Right now, they're not. They may not have that for one of their favorite teams. Mm-hmm. So, kind of interesting to see if uh, I always, I'm of the mentality that fans typically cave in when it comes to stuff like that. You know, even if they protest like week one, they're back into it because they love the game and they're mm-hmm. going to start watching in week two. This year's a little bit different. It is. This year's in, a little bit different, and we've never really had a political climate where people are this interested. And then to make it even, it, it maybe just to play the other side and to say, hey, I, I'm a big wrestling fan. We've talked about wrestling on this show sometimes. The wrestling ratings are at an all-time low right now, too. 
and it, it, which is which is weird because you know wrestling ebbs and flows plenty of the time. But it's 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 funny because that has nothing to do with anything politically. That there's no you know backlash on anything going on in that department. It's just getting less viewers, and it was getting less viewers all throughout the pandemic. Even when there weren't other sports going, when you would have assumed, oh, maybe some people who watch a Monday Night Football game instead of you know having wrestling on in the background or something. That hasn't really been the case. So I don't know. Maybe it could be could could completely be political. It could just be, I in in a time where we thought anything on was going to get more ratings. It hasn't really played out that way. I mean, even when the, the last dance stuff was on, I know golf got some good ratings for a few of them, but it wasn't like I was expecting some overwhelming numbers after nothing for a while. And it hasn't been that way. I wonder if people have kind of some have sort of drifted into other things. Some are maybe, you know, scared of what's going on in the world and don't like watching sports. Others Gino, are. None I, of I, this has made made sense. I, I mean, know. you have you have unheard of racetracks setting ridiculous handle records Mm -hmm. and then you know the ratings that you're talking about it like it doesn't make sense no you know you'd think that people are home more than ever before people are working from home or forced to be home or kids are at home or not in school or what you know uh could it be the strange start times for the basketball games maybe the fact that there's there's games you know throughout the day that we've never seen before we games that are starting all throughout the well, yeah, day really- typically you kind of expect you know 4 4:30 5 p.m. and then 7 p.m. out mm-hmm. here you get West two Coast, games you expect right? double you expect the two games I mean games that's happened to me a couple times where I was like oh wow I didn't even have time I didn't know that game started at whatever time it started you know what yeah, I mean so it, that it might, there might be a part of it. it it very well could be and that'll probably only be for another maybe week or two because then once they're they cut in half, they'll be able to just kind of go two series tonight, two series, you know, every other night. It won't won't be much longer before they're doing that. But I, yeah, I, don't, I will say the the level of play has been very very good. We've seen some incredible performances. The one thing overall I don't like, and I don't know if this is because maybe the players were gone for a while and and they're slightly off defensively, or maybe the they've talked to the officials about call. There have been so many fouls called on both sides, in, you know, and it goes along with that, with that Porzingis technical. I mean, watching the Laker Blazer game the other night, there was no flow to that game either way. There were like five fouls called on Anthony Davis that probably shouldn't have been fouls, and then there were four more underneath the basket that probably should have that they didn't call. They call a couple touch pa- fouls on Lilliard, and I'm not saying this as like the Lakers got screwed. I'm saying on both sides, I don't. There's no flow to any game. Where it's foul, foul, free throws, foul, free throws, foul, free throws. Down the court, miss, come back, loose ball, foul, free throws. they got to figure something out because there's been too much of that going on. And it's been all throughout the bubble and now the start of the playoffs. The the games that are fun are when you go back and you forth, you let them go a little bit. I, I just want consistency from the officials. And if they're going to consistently let them go a little bit more. If you're going to be consistent one way, let it be the way where you let them go a little more. Yeah, all you need is uh, is uh, for that to be a regular occurrence in this Mavs series, and uh, Mark Cuban will definitely let it be known that he's not too pleased mm-hmm. with the officiating. Maybe they're a little bit rusty. I don't know. It could but, be anything. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's so, too much. Know, let's, they, let's oh, take a break. Go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say it's been no when because now we've seen everybody basically play two games after we watched these last couple of games that are going right now. So now they have to look at the way things are going and 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 say. 
this isn't a great product right now. It's start, stop. Nobody, I don't think it's, an, it's a safety thing. We haven't seen any like absurd, hard, unsafe fouls to where they're protecting everybody. It just has to be, this is too choppy. There's two, there's a few of these. You can just let it go and, and let's, and let's move there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been overall pretty pleased with the, with the, the NBA product. I'll be a little more pleased if we can get a Laker win later. Good stuff, Gino. Let's take our first commercial timeout, and when we come back, we're going to figure out what direction we're going to go because we could talk baseball, we could talk football. So stay with us. We'll talk about both. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, and we have our first guest. Mike, why don't you introduce him? Yeah, for any of our regular listeners, you may remember our next guest, he actually used to cover the Rays for the Athletic, Tampa Rays, that is. And we actually spoke to him on the day that there was this funky announcement of Tampa maybe playing, or the Rays, maybe playing in Montreal, if you guys remember. Um, and uh, at that time, the Rays were playing the Oakland A's, and uh, Josh was kind enough to make a little time to join us, as he does today, but on a different capacity entirely. He's now covering the Miami Dolphins for the athletic Josh Tolentino. How are you, Josh? Hey, pleasure, Mike. Man, that seems like an eternity ago. I remember Doesn't that exact it? trip. Yeah, we flew from um, New York to Oakland. No day off. They put the, the the very next day. And that same day, they you know, they dropped that bomb that, you know, we're thinking about playing in Montreal in a couple of years. So, um, but, you know, under, under a new challenge here in Miami and, you know, plenty of storylines surrounding this Dolphins team. Yeah, no doubt. Before we dig into that, do you still follow the Rays? And, and uh, that was a pretty impressive series against the uh, Yankees. 
Yep, yep, of course. Actually, the MLB.com writer, Juan Taribio, is a good friend of mine, and he's um, from Miami, and we actually uh, met up a little bit uh, throughout this past New York series. So, I mean, they just uh, swept the Yanks, which is no easy task. I know they don't have Judge or Stanton, I believe, in the lineup right now, but, but still very impressive on the Rays' part. Yeah, n- no doubt about it. Uh, puts them in the first place, so good for them. Uh, I'm a Red Sox fan. If I'm not, not going to see the Sox, love seeing the Yankees get taken down, especially by a small market team, so good for them. Yeah, the Rays Let's, did just uh, sweep the, the Red Sox, though, right before. I, I, I was know. reading some crazy stat that uh, that hadn't been done in like 20 or 30 years of the same trip that the opposing team sweeps the Red Sox and the Yankees uh, in back-to-back wow. trips. Wow, that's impressive, Gino. Yeah, what's been what's been the most, um, I guess, surprising thing to you so far? You know, through um, you know how, this big chunk of the the season. That it's crazy when you look back down every few days. It's already like another massive percentage of the uh, the, the way of the season. Then, so what's been, I guess, the biggest surprise for you? Yeah, I think before the transition, I was kind of trying to identify, you know, which players would be, you know, magnified or, or really kind of take advantage of the short season. And Brandon Lau really wasn't on that list. And, I mean, he's leading, I think, the AL in uh, war right now. I think hits. I mean, so many categories. It's uh, been really impressive to, to see him take off. I mean, he, he really is a, a dog in, in that sense that he's able to, to, to put it all together at the plate right now. Wow. Interesting stuff, man. Like I said, seeing a small market team do so well. Um, it really should give every single market hope that if you develop talent, you scout well, that you've got a chance to compete with anybody. Speaking of uh, developing talent, let's uh, go go a little bit south to Miami, talk a little Dolphin football. We've actually got a, a lot of Dolphin fans that listen to us, and especially today since you're on. want to start with uh, Chan Gailey, offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins, doesn't seem to be too communicative so far because the only issue that he kind of wants to mention is the communication issues that they've had, but not a lot beyond that. What what are you seeing from the offense? Yeah, we actually just spoke with Chan Gailey this morning. Um, obviously coming in, he's got plenty of experience. I think uh, one of the reporters today joked about, you know, do you ever look at your, your wife and say, I can't believe that I'm still doing this? And, you know, with that, uh, I mean, he just has so many uh, reps. So, he, I mean, he's, he's been through this before. And uh, this training camp is so different in the sense of there's no preseason games or, you know, tune-up games to, to really see the, the depth play out. But, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, playbook installs, um, you know, getting the ones and twos and threes out there, I mean, he's done this for 30-plus years. So, um, you know, when, when things aren't flowing exactly to, to what he wants to see or what Flores wants to see, uh, Flores kind of had the same issue yesterday with the special teams, you know, in practice where he just paused practice, you know, just to, you know, tell them to, to liven it up a little bit. Uh, you know, it sounds like Flo and Gailey Chan, they're, they're going to make it known that, you know, they want to see things done the right way. What is the uh, the wide receivers room looking like uh, down there in Miami? We know Miami has had a couple players opting out, a couple wide receivers that would have probably been pretty high on the depth chart and would have been out on the field a lot. So what where do they stack up right now? How's it looking in there? And do you think that'll still be a position that they'll they'll be okay at, or are they going to be struggling and maybe needed to bring someone in? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of uh, unanswered questions when it comes to the receiver room. When you think about 
two of their top four receivers in Alan Hearns and, and Albert Wilson, you know, while they didn't pop off in terms of uh, statistics last year, I mean, those are veteran older guys in that room who still, you know, they've, they've been around the block. They, they, know, they know what to do in terms of, you know, this is uh, what a regular season is supposed to, to look like. So when you, you knock out two of the, the top four receivers, obviously you're going to have, um, you know, a lot of questions surrounding the team. I think right now, really, uh, Devontae Parker and Preston Williams, they're, they're one and two. They've really stood out in camp uh, just because the, the difference in terms of, at least with Devontae, um, you know, you look around the room at uh, the other guys, unproven guys like Isaiah Ford, Kirk Merritt, um, and it's just the, the difference in, in the way that Devontae Parker goes with his the drills and just his route running. It's just he seems way quicker, so much uh, crisp in terms of his movement. So um, Devontae Parker is definitely going to be that number one guy. With, with Preston Williams, um, I think he's going to be ready. I know he had that torn ACL last year, and really before that he was um, – I mean, he was well on his way. That a very impressive rookie season in terms of what he was putting up before that unfortunate injury. It looks like he's kind of picking off where where um, he left off before the injury. I mean, he's he's uh, he has such a tall frame, and um, there's a lot of speed to him. And and with you know Fitzpatrick, uh, a lot of the attention is going to be on Tua, and you know when he's going to be ready for the season. But for now, Fitzmagic is the guy, and, and we all know that that he loves to to air it out and. Uh, you know those fifty-fifty balls and Preston and Devontae—they're they're always up to, to to go up and get them. Would it be uh, going out on a limb to say that? Uh, see, I was really impressed with Isaiah Ford in the last couple of games. He really turned it on. I think uh, I think he started getting some uh, regular reps in Week 14 through uh, their two-game winning streak to end the season. Uh, I, I think he may. Is it is it a stretch to say that he may be a starter and a significant contributor this year? I don't think it's a stretch by any means. I think they have to figure out what they're going to do at the slot, obviously, and there's some intriguing options there with, uh, you know, Malcolm Perry, who played quarterback at Navy, but, you know, he's going to be tested at running back, and that's where he's listed at, but also the slot um, and receiver. But outside of, you know, Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, there's a lot of questions surrounding that room, and, um, I don't think it'd be a stretch at all to say that Isaiah Ford has an opportunity in front of him. And, you know, you know, to Isaiah's credit, it's freaking hot at practice. It's, you know, the heat index is 105, 110. Um, and as reporters, you know, the few of us that are allowed in there, you know, we're up there complaining and we're not running out, you know, doing all these drills on the field. And, you know, it's, it's, it's freaking hot. And you think about what he's done the past three days. He's the last player to leave the field um, at the end of practice. Practice concludes, um, and he every practice he's been going to the corner of the jugs machine, and he's been putting in extra work. So um, we talked a little bit about his work ethic uh, yesterday when we were on a Zoom with him. But um, you know, we'll see if that extra dedication, extra time after practice, pays off here in the next three weeks once the season approaches. And the offensive line looks like there's a possibility that we may uh, be seeing two rookie starters. Yep, yep, definitely. I mean, the I mean, they invested a ton. Obviously, getting to a was their their biggest grab of the draft. But then their next two picks, addressing the offensive line, and I don't think it's a stretch to say at all that the offensive line was one of the worst groups in the NFL last year. The the, I mean, when Ryan Fitzpatrick is leading your your team in rushing yards, that's definitely not. I mean, really, any quarterback leading your team in rushing yards, unless you're 
you know, Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, that's, that's not a good sign. So um, they, they definitely addressed that, that need or, um, you know, made it known that they wanted to, you know, and it, it's not just through rookies either. Eric Flowers is a veteran. And then, you know, you guys, you already have a proven guy there in terms of uh, Jesse Davis. Um, but, but two guys that I'm really going to pay attention to here over the next couple of weeks are Robert Hunt and Solomon Kidney. It's pretty safe to say, you know, Solomon Kidney has been trusted with some extra reps here in practice. And while we can't say where, or, you know, exactly how many or who he's lining up with, uh, you know, it's pretty safe to say that, that uh, you know, he's got a big responsibility here in front of him with uh, Solomon Kidney on that old line. So this is going to be a completely different type of year because we – don't have Tom Brady in the division uh, playing against the the Dolphins. You have a Buffalo Bills team that seems to be continuing to take steps forward. Lots of question marks about the Jets there. So as far as when you look at the division and everything going on and in this insane year where we're only three weeks away from football, which which seems really hard to believe, um, what's sort of your prediction? Where do you think when it's all said and done, the Dolphins are going to be sitting at, at the end of the year? You know, you, you think about uh, kind of what the teams went through in terms of uh, the, the effects of the, the coronavirus and, you know, players that decided to opt out. Miami, while Albert Hearn, I mean, Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns, those are two big losses, so, you know, a very specific group. When it comes to overall production, or, or really the biggest effect, I think they were the least affected team in the division. Obviously, the Patriots had a handful of guys, and then you even have, um, you know, Jamal Adams leaving the, the division. Um, I still can't really see them winning um, past seven or eight games. I think that's kind of going to be their their um, limit right there. But but who knows? I mean, maybe Fitzpatrick leads them to a good start, and two his time clock is um, slowed down a little bit. And you know, maybe you don't see them until the end of the season, depending on uh, where they are midseason. Because I really do think that a lot of his timeline, and, and that's really the biggest uh, attention grabber right now in camp with fans, is. You know, one is two a time. I think uh, a lot of it is going to be dependent on his health, how the hip is looking. It's also going to be uh, uh, dependent on how he grasps the playbook. But but the third biggest uh, factor is going to be where Fitzpatrick has the team, you know, six, seven, eight games into the season. Um, but I, I'd say six or seven wins is definitely achievable for this Dolphin squad. I kind of want to piggyback off of uh, Gino's question because w- when I do look at this division – I see a division with Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and, you know, maybe Cam Newton or Jarrett Stidham. Seems to me like Brian Flores, who's a defensive-minded guy, maybe is constructing this team with an emphasis on defense, perhaps. Uh, They went and got uh, Byron Jones, Kyle Vinoy, Shaq Lawson, what do you what do you think in terms of Josh Boyer's approach to this? You know, I'm a, I'm a little bit, I guess, suspicious of, of a of a guy who's been coaching for 15 years in the league and never been elevated to coordinator before. Is that a unfair opinion? No, I think you're fair in that regard. And also on the defensive side, I mean, they have three assistants who are making the jump to the NFL straight from college with no past NFL experience. So I think there will be a learning curve, not just for the young players and the rookies on the team, but also for the, the coaches, because there are a few, there are several of them who, who really haven't done this before. And you point to the off season uh, acquisitions on the defensive side. 
I mean, anytime you, you sign Byron Jones and, and give him the, the biggest bag in the NFL, then, you know, a guy like a proven veteran in, in Kyle Van Noy, um, you're, you're obviously strengthening um, spots there, solidifying, I should say, that at least that secondary to, to be potentially one of the best in the NFL. But on the, on the offensive side, you know, we talked about the O-line, we talked about the receiver room, but, but one group that we, we haven't addressed yet is the running backs. Uh, like what we said last year, Fitzpatrick, if he's, you know, it's never good when your quarterback's leading the team in rushing yards. And, you know, two big signings that, you know, on top of Van Noy and Byron Jones were, were two, you know, significant names in across the NFL and, and running backs with, with Matt Breida and Jordan Howard. And um, I think in terms of exact workload is still to be determined. You know, Jordan Howard is a better zone rusher and, you know, he's used to, um, making the most of his blocks while Matt Breida can, can catch it some. And uh, he's known for that big playability. Uh, you know, he's one of the fastest players in the NFL. But um, at least he has some weapons uh, at his disposal. I know receiver is still to be determined. But um, he's got some pieces there with Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, and then the two two backs and Breida and Howard. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Breida's numbers, he, he sometimes gets a little bit banged up, but I think he is uh, above 5.0 rushing average each of the last couple of years. So, in closing... Yeah. No, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. sorry, guys. I, I, thought, I thought you were going to continue on, on Jordan or something. I mean, it's a two-back room. But, with, but yeah, definitely with, with Brita, the, I mean, he had multiple injuries last year. I want to say that he, he had some lower body injury and then also a concussion. Um, and, and then... I mean, obviously, with what San Francisco did in the run that they made, I mean, their, their running back room was really crowded. So, uh, you know, we'll see exactly how he fits in, but I think one of the the biggest strengths right now is his ability to, to catch the ball because um, when you got a receiver room where there's a lot of unproven talent and, you know, you're one of the biggest playmakers in the NFL in terms of speed and uh, your ability to catch the ball, um, I think that plays out well for, for Matt Breida. Yeah, and uh, any chance for Miles Gaskin to kind of break into the mix. Yeah, it's 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 funny that you you mention him because actually today Chan Gailey, um, and Studs, the um, running back coach, they mentioned Gaskin by name because he actually has been pretty impressive uh, over the past couple of days. And you know him and Kalen Balaj are really going to be fighting for that third uh, spot on the depth chart. And so far, uh, Kalen he actually fumbled the ball the the first day of camp on the first series of 11-on-11s, and um, Miles Gaskin, no turnover so far, and he's actually looked pretty smooth in the in terms of, uh, you know, how he's moving with the ball, his cuts. Uh, he made a really nice uh, juke move. I forgot who was the defender. It might have been a Landon Robert uh, yesterday during practice, but uh, Miles Gaskin, so far, so good for him, and, you know, uh, a lot of the pressure is off him and Kalen since uh, Jordan and uh, Howard and, and Matt Breed are in the room now. Good stuff, man. Well, I I, uh, I kind of have a feeling that Mike Gesicki is really going to be the uh, key key to this offense. He's you know if he's going to be a you know a guy that can haul in you know sixty five plus passes, you know this uh, this offense might be fun to watch. They were surely were fun the last couple of games and uh, of last season. Even though when you looked on paper, people were thinking that it was going to be a historically bad Miami Dolphins team last year. So. All a big testament to the job that Brian Flores d- has done thus far. Josh, let our listeners know how they can follow you. Yeah, of course. It's uh, JCT Sports on Twitter. And then 
um, you know, theathletic.com in just terms of uh, all the, the coverage that we provided. But, but just really quick with, with Gasicki, you think of uh, receivers that, that Fitzpatrick has a built-in trust factor or, you know, he, he knows that he's able to throw the ball somewhere in the vicinity and that they're going to give their all to catch it. That's Devontae Parker and, and Gasicki. So uh, definitely a name to watch here as camp continues to develop. And, you know, that, that season over in New England isn't too far away, boys. So, uh, you know, football will be back soon. Yeah, and it might be good fantasy pickups. So good stuff there. Check out Josh Donatino's work on The Athletic. He's got a really good piece on uh, Tua's relationship with Fitzpatrick. So definitely want to check that out. As always, Josh, thank you so much. We'll check in with you later during the season when uh, they've rattled off a couple wins. Hey, appreciate you, fellas. Give me a call anytime. Thank you so much. That's Josh Donatino with The Athletic. We will take a quick timeout, and we'll be back with Eno Saris to talk some baseball. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, final segment, and we have our next guest. Mike, why don't you introduce him? Yeah, he's been a... Guest of ours on many occasions before. He's from The Athletic. You could see him also on MLB Network. Had a really interesting conversation with Brian Kinney last week. We're talking about none other than Eno Saris. Eno, good afternoon. Hey, How are you? I'm doing good. Good to, good to be on. Thanks for having me. Oh, as always, thank you for joining us. So, Eno, let's, uh, let's get into it because I don't remember a time, and I've been a baseball fan my whole life, where we've had this much young talent especially on the offensive side. And I was trying to think, you know, who's, who's the best young player in the game right now when you consider, you know, guys like Mookie Betts who are still relatively young and, and Bellinger, and these guys are MVP types, but quickly inserting themselves into the conversation, Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, etc. I mean, this is a great time to be a baseball fan. Yeah, 
Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's kind of a fun mental exercise, too, to think about who will be the best when we're talking 10 years from now. Because if you think about it, you look at Juan Soto, and he doesn't have the defensive value of Tatis. He doesn't have the speed of Tatis. But he does have a better collection of sort of plate discipline and contact ability at the plate. I mean, you've seen him celebrate takes. That's really rare. <laughs> and so, you know, to have a guy who celebrates takes and also makes contact and has power to all fields, I really kind of feel like his bat will age better than Tatis's. But Tatis, on the other hand, has the speed uh, and the defensive value to be valuable even when he's playing third later on and so on and so forth. Whereas Soto might have to DH at some point because he's already a corner outfielder. So I think it's really interesting to kind of debate who might age better, uh, even though both of them, I think, are probably, with Ronald Acuna Jr., probably the, the, the kind of we've got next group. Uh, you know, it seems like things are starting to settle in now. The first week or two, we saw maybe a couple teams that we didn't think were going to win a whole lot of games win win a, a good amount of games. And now, and we've seen the the Yankees and the the Dodgers start to settle in now. Unfortunately, the Yankees they just keep getting decimated by injury. But give me maybe one one of the positive teams or one of the negatives. Who, who is something that you thought is better than they would be, or, or on a positive side, surprising you? And what's something on the negative side that's surprising you? Um, you know, I kind of thought that the Reds would have a, a, a winning record this year. Um, they improved their offense. They have some young players on offense. And obviously, they made a huge turnaround with their starting rotation last year. I love what they've done with the pitching program. I still think that they'll get it going. And right now, they're definitely solidly in the mix, even at 10 and 12. But I kind of expected them... Uh, to have a to have a above 500 record at this point, uh, you know I, I kind of I, I picked the Padres and the White Sox to, to to take real big steps forward this year, so I'm not too surprised uh, by what what they're doing. Everybody saw the Red Sox falling apart. Um, I guess on the negative side, you know the Nationals um, and the Rangers uh, being sub 500 teams is maybe a little uh, surprising, but there's often a bit of a hangover when it comes to uh, teams that win it all, uh, just because uh, they played longer than anybody. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, they have this uh, step back that they take. You know, the Astros and the Nationals not necessarily running away with it um, and having some troubles with injury and so on and so forth, I think has something to do with that. I know we're kind of jumping all over the board here, but trying to get in as much in this short segment Big news today from San Francisco. They call up Joey Bart. I have to imagine that when you call up a prized prospect like this, that he's going to be automatically plugged in as the starter, especially when, you know, you have Chadwick Trump, who I know had a good first week in the, in the majors, uh, and, uh, and Heineman, uh, not necessarily the next uh, group of Johnny Bench-type players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the early report is that uh, Bart is playing tonight uh, and, and starting behind the plate, and there's nobody who's going to stand stand in his way. Um, you know, the question I think with Bart is, uh, you know, how much uh, contact is he going to make in the major leagues? Um, how much patience is he going to have? There's some questions. Sometimes he gets stuck in between the hard stuff and the soft stuff. Um, I saw that a little bit at Modesto when I went and, and took a look at him. Um, but when he connects, he hits the ball really hard. 
And I think defensively they like what they see, um, and he's the kind of guy who will stick there. So I, I, I'm interested in seeing the framing ability and like sort of the, the plate stats um, because I, I think the power will be there for sure. I have a part B to this question, by the way, which is not necessarily specific to Joey Bart, but I'm going to give you a hypothetical. I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, uh, but I think it's an interesting thing to ponder. You're probably very well versed on, on the rookie of the year rules. I, th- I believe it's 50 games or 150 at bats. Let's say somebody gets called up late like Joey Bart and he does not exceed 150 at bats, but has like a monster run. Like remember like Sam Horn in uh, 88, I believe it was for the Red Sox where he hit 14 home runs and a hundred, a little bit over 150 at bats. Is it possible to get rookie of the year twice? Like if he's, gets 140 at-bats, but just kills it and is rookie of the year. Could he get it again the year after? Have you ever been asked that before? <laughs> I have not, and it's a wonderful little nugget. I, I Because you've never had a season that... like this, right? So <laughs> yeah, anybody yeah, that gets called up now that... is going to be in jeopardy. They're not going to get 50 yeah. games in, so we already know that. I, I have to think that they've, they've prorated everything when it comes to, um, like, years of team control. That's why uh, you saw all those prospects come up last week because, you know, two weeks into the season equaled six weeks into the season, and so therefore uh, they were, you know, teams could call up prospects and still have that last year of control, team control. So I have to think that they've uh, prorated the award stuff, too, and the rookie eligibility. Uh, but I, I'm going to ask for you. I haven't thought that. <laughs> I'm going to ask for you and, and try to find out. We'll see. If I, if I find out an answer that uh, they retain their rookie eligibility, I will for sure tag you and, and let you know on Twitter. Oh, appreciate it. What One team that doesn't seem to add up when I look at the numbers, uh, you know, and I wonder if they're going to be able to continue to play good baseball right now, is the Cubs. You, you look at the Cubs, and they're winning – but they're they're kind of barely winning, and they're, they're not getting much from their lineup. Like, if you're just looking at the players who you expected to hit 300 or really produce, they're not doing it. And they're really being carried by Hendricks, Darvish, and Lester's had some good starts. Do, you, do Can those three carry this team in a shorter season, or is this team going to maybe even things out a little bit and be closer to 500 when it's all said and done? You know, I... I, I... I, put, I, I it was a bit of a bold prediction, but I, I did put out there that Hugh Darvish would win the, the Cy Young this year. And nice. it has oh. something to do with some changes in his pitch mix. Um, he really you know, improved his command last year. Um, and so I kind of see him as the leader. I don't believe that Lester will keep this up, but if you, if you slot them Darvish as a real number one um, and then Hendricks as a really good number two, then you know, in like a short season or in a playoff series, um, you figure it out with number three and four. You know what I mean? That's sort of uh, mm-hmm. kind of how most teams do it, other than the Yankees or you know some of the big market teams. So um, I think they'll they'll have enough. I think they'll have enough. They'll make it in as a, at least the number one or number two in their division. Um, and uh, and when they get into a short series, it'll be all about you, Darvish and Kyle Hendricks. Another National League team, San Diego Padres. Is it? too outside the box to say that they're going to be a playoff team, or is this too early? I guess not outside the box because people know that they're good, but I think they're Uh really good, and I think they're a top three team in the National League behind the uh, Dodgers and the Braves. Am I wrong? 
I don't think you're wrong. Um, the, the one thing that they need to figure out is the bullpen. Uh, I mean, in terms of making the playoffs, uh, there's so many teams making the playoffs that right now uh, the Padres already have an 80% chance of making the playoffs uh, just by sort of being above 500. They'll either get in as the, the second team in the West or uh, one of the wild cards. But um, I think the big problem right now is the, the bullpen. The good news is they have too many pitchers almost in terms of these young pitchers. You know, Luis Patino showed a little bit of wildness. Maybe you say, hey, okay, just throw two pitches this year and be our setup man. Now all of a sudden you've got a 99-mile-an-hour setup man with a crazy breaker, you know? And uh, they have Adrian Morahan, who was sitting 97 the other day throwing this crazy knuckle changeup, and he's not even the second guy you would say. They haven't even used Mackenzie Gore yet. Um, and then Cal Quantrill is, a, is, a, is like a capable dude. So they're going to figure out who's the fifth starter, um, or, you know, maybe if Gore comes and blows the doors off, maybe he becomes the third or fourth star eventually. But uh, in terms of, like, their biggest problem is something they can solve from within. They don't even have to trade. You know, they just have to say, sort through the arms and be like Patino, Gore, uh, Morahan, who's a reliever, who's a starter, what's going on here. So even though they lost Kirby Yates for the season, uh, Drew Pomerantz is is a is a good replacement, and now you just have to figure out which of these young arms is going to spot in behind Pomerantz in the, in that uh, bullpen. Yeah, you're sure right about the wildness of uh, of 150 pound Luis Patino. He, I think he's been uh, throwing about an <laughs> inning to two innings every game and doling out like four walks. So uh, pretty pretty cr- crazy times there in San Diego in the mid to late innings. You know, we uh, are up against the clock. Why don't you tell our listeners how they could follow you? Oh, uh, I'm on Twitter at E-N-O-S-A-R-R-I-S. I'm on uh, The Athletic. Just put up a 10-pack where I analyze 10 pitchers uh, using release points, pitch mixes, command, uh, all the stuff that's at my disposal and kind of – uh, said what to watch for and who to drop and who to pick up if you play fantasy and that sort of thing. So uh, that's that's what I do, and that's where you can find me. There's beer and sandwiches there uh, always. Awesome. I highly Thanks, recommend Eno. everybody check it out. Thank you so much, Eno. We appreciate it. We'll uh, check in with you again soon. All right. See you again soon. Awesome. Gino, this hour flew by, and uh, awesome we're out of time. Man. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're looking forward to, to talking next week again when we're right back in the middle of everything. A big thanks to, to Josh and a big thanks to Eno. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll roll out some fantasy football leagues through the Mike Abadir show. Stay, enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. We will see you same time, same place next weekend. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.